I'm pleased to introduce to those of you who, who have not yet had the chance to meet. This is Dawn Stringer. Dawn and her husband, John, have uh, been part of our church for a good number of years now. And uh, about four years or so, is it? And, uh, and Dawn, uh, we're thrilled. Dawn's going to be bringing the message this morning. And uh, so thrilled to have you with us and to speak. And we look forward to all that God might say to us through you this morning. Uh, so I invite you, won't you pray with me as uh, we come to the word this morning? Lord, we thank you for your word that is alive and active and always moving and shaping and doing things. God, we open our hearts now. May we be good soil that is receptive to your word. That as your word comes forth through your servant Dawn, it would find it would find good soil. It would it would take root in our hearts and our lives. It would go down deep and roots would grow down. It would bring forth. Uh, a harvest. And Lord, we ask your blessing be upon Dawn as she ministers your word to us this morning. Bless your word to us this morning, we pray that the words of her mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. We all said together? Amen. 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 Thanks, Dawn. Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, It's good to be here. Um, When I was preparing this message, I thought it really follows on quite well with the um, series we've just finished uh, about Joseph and the way that God called him and led him. So uh, it's kind of continuing uh, with that message of God is calling. And um, some of my friends here will have heard some of this message before because I've preached this out at 360. Uh, Some of it, some of it will be new, so... There you go. So let's look at um, calling, and we'll turn first to a couple of uh, passages in Matthew's Gospel, uh, how Jesus called his disciples, some of them. Uh, So Matthew 4 first. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and followed him. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man called Matthew, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. I became a Christian in my mid-twenties after a road to Damascus type encounter with God. That's where a person has a sudden and dramatic encounter with God, and it's based on Paul's journey to Damascus when Jesus came to him. At the time, I was working at the University of Canterbury here in Christchurch as a secretary. And I decided that I needed to be doing something more meaningful for the kingdom of God. So I thought I would try and get a job in a rest home as an aide. I don't know why. I thought that cleaning toilets would be more spiritual than typing. But I didn't know much about my new faith at the time. 
Anyway, I rang the Methodist Central Mission, and the receptionist there put me on to the superintendent, Reverend Wilf Falkingham. Does anybody, did anybody know Wilf? He's just a lovely, lovely guy. I asked him if there were any vacancies for AIDS in any of their rest homes, and Wilf asked me what I did presently. I told him I was a secretary at the university, and he said, can you come and see me? So I went to see him that same day. After a bit of a chat, he said, my secretary is retiring, and she handed in her resignation this morning, and I've been praying and asking God to send me another secretary. Would you like the job? <laughs> I accepted and left there thinking, whoa, is that how God works? So I happened to ring the mission on the same day that the secretary had resigned. Was that a coincidence? I don't think so. And do you find that those kinds of things happen in your life? I know I can see many times that coincidences were actually pre-planned God incidences in my life. At that time, I wasn't aware of how God calls us and speaks to us or how to listen to his voice. And by the way, I'm not saying that when you become a Christian, you have to look for another job. <laughs> so knowing that things in God's world don't happen by chance, that there is some kind of organization and planning behind everything. We can see when we read Bible stories how people were called and how they were equipped for the purposes that God had planned for them. And it wasn't then and it isn't now only perfect and wonderful people who God chooses. In fact, as you know, there are no perfect and completely wonderful people. As we've seen in the story of Joseph, God can and does use our mistakes and our experiences for his purposes. This morning I want to look at some specific biblical examples of calling to help us understand our own journey a little bit better. Let's start with a very special family from the New Testament. It's Lazarus's family. Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. There's no mention of Mrs. Lazarus. It seems the family is a brother and two sisters who are very close friends of Jesus. I believe that the scriptures suggest that when Jesus was down in the south, maybe attending Passover and other festivals in Jerusalem, he have, may have made the Lazarus home in Bethany, his base, just as he made Peter's house in Capernaum, his base in Galilee. Bethany is about three kilometers from Jerusalem, and he may have stayed with them quite often. So let's start with Lazarus himself before we get on to Martha and Mary. In John chapter 11, we read the astonishing story of how Jesus called Lazarus out of his tomb four days after he died. It's interesting that John 
writes this story about Lazarus directly after the account of Jesus talking about being the good shepherd. In chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. And then later, my sheep recognize my voice. I know them and they follow me. Jesus was referring to the practice in his day of shepherds calling their sheep out of their overnight shelter, often a cave, to lead them to their grazing for the day. Notice the similarities in the two situations, and it's no coincidence that John links them. He was Lazarus, lying in the cave, which in this case was his tomb, He'd been dead for four days, and he still heard his master's voice, and he comes out. It's the power of God that brings him to life, but Lazarus has heard the familiar and loved voice of his shepherd calling him. He's a disciple. He's taken the time to listen to his Lord many times, and he will come when called, even from his tomb. And then we have Martha. Poor Martha often gets bad press as we read the account in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, of Jesus coming to visit, and she's busy in the kitchen. Mary, on the other hand, is lounging around with Jesus, not pulling her weight in the cooking So Martha, hot and bothered, asked Jesus, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Tell her to help me? That was quite rude. And you wouldn't speak to a guest like that unless you knew him really well. In fact, consider him part of your family. So Martha does know Jesus really well but she's still got a thing or two to learn and Jesus answers Martha you're worried and distracted by many things there is need of only one thing Mary has chosen the better part which will not be taken away from her now this is a really significant thing for Jesus to say and I'll get that back to that in a minute I want to just speak up for Martha a little here because in the story of Lazarus, um, the raising of Lazarus, Martha is the one who says, Lord, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one coming into the world. Now this is amazing because not even some of Jesus' disciples have understood this. So here is another of Lazarus's family who is so close to Jesus that she knows who he is and declares it out loud. But let's come back to the catering incident. In Jesus' day, it was only the men who would be considered worthy of being a disciple, of a gifted teacher or rabbi. The teacher would sit and begin to speak to the men he had invited. And you had to be invited to the privilege of a master's teaching. 
it was referred to as sitting at his feet. And they would listen intently, sometimes asking questions. When we were in Jerusalem in 2014, we visited a very old synagogue, the Herva Synagogue in the Old City. It's a large building, and way up high was the gallery where the women had to sit. The women couldn't even see or hear the proceedings way down below, let alone have any sense of being part of it. In effect, all there was to do for the women was to chatter amongst themselves until it was time to go home and cook the meals for the men of the family. I guess the only thing they could do was to use the synagogue as a social time to catch up with friends and family and share gossip. It was astonishing then that Jesus not only allowed Mary to sit and listen to him, but she must have been invited to do so. Listen to how Luke describes the incident. She, Martha, had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he was saying. By telling Martha that Mary was doing the right thing, he was saying, she is listening and learning. She is a disciple. I have invited her. I have called her. I want her to be a disciple. This is a new thing. This is yet another way of my coming will change the world. The prophet Isaiah had predicted this many centuries before. He said, Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? And Paul understood this when he told the church in Corinth that women must sit quietly and listen to the teaching, not sit in some side room and chatter amongst themselves. Women are now invited to be disciples and they need to sit and learn. And when they get home, discuss with their husbands the the things they've heard. Again, this was a new thing for that culture. It would have been extremely strange for a husband and wife to have such a lofty conversation. As I thought about this little devoted family of disciples who had heard the call of Jesus, I wondered what happened to them after the Easter events. Were they persecuted by the religious leaders? Because we are told that they wanted Lazarus dead because it was on his account that many Jews were believing in Jesus. Maybe they used their hospitality gifts to host a fledgling Christian church in their home. And I've got a picture of people being welcomed into their home with a delicious meal cooked by Martha and Mary. And then Lazarus and Martha may have given their testimony of what it's like to have a special relationship with Jesus. And then they may have listened to Mary telling them the things that she had learned about the kingdom of God from Jesus as she sat at his feet. I wonder, would these three devoted people have discussed what they would do as a family to be effective 
in the kingdom of God. There are so many other examples in the Bible of people who were called to either a specific or more general role in God's kingdom work. In the Old Testament, in Kings chapter 18, we read about the prophet Elijah. God had just accomplished an amazing miracle through Elijah. God had used him to defeat the prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. You'd think that he would have been elated, but when Queen Jezebel threatened, I'll get you for this, Elijah listened to the human voice instead of God's voice, and he ran away into the desert. But finally, after God quietly and gently asked, what are you doing here, Elijah? He got back on track, and I'm sure learned a valuable lesson from it all. And there are many, many examples of people who have been called and are still being called. Bible translators who have been martyred for knowing that God wants people to hear his word in their own language. Church reformers who questioned unbiblical teaching. Missionaries and evangelists taking the gospel to the nations. And because of his faith, William Wilberforce was tireless in fighting for the abolition of slavery. And of course, there are so many more unknown men and women who've heard the call of God and been obedient to his voice. Some years ago, John and I had a plan to hire a camper van and tour the North Island. It didn't happen in the end. But imagine if you were doing this. Taken months to organize the trip, studying maps and planning a route and choosing the things you want to do and see. And you've contacted family and friends and you've made all your motel reservations and ferry bookings. And it's time to leave and you're so excited. You drive up to Picton and get on the ferry and everything's going really well. You watch the South Island disappear from view as you head into Wellington. And the ship ties up to the wharf. Here at last, you drive off the ferry and pull into the ferry terminal car park. And you stay there. You don't go any further. That doesn't make sense, does it? And yet it's actually what many of us are doing with our Christian journey. God is calling us to keep on going, keep on learning, keep on maturing as Christians. And yet we've stalled, or we've allowed circumstances to derail us, or we've been listening to human voices, not God's. We know that when we become a Christian, we've repented of our sins and have, because of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross, been forgiven and given a new clean sheet for life. We've crossed the Red Sea, we've journeyed across Cook Strait, but somehow... Like the early Hebrews, we've got stuck in a wilderness, not knowing what could happen next, not knowing what freedom really means, not understanding how to move on in our calling. Jesus demonstrated living and acting in faith. He taught about the kingdom of God, and he showed what this would look like it would be accompanied by healing. It would see miracles and experience God's provision. 
It would operate on trust and faith and power. There will be troubles and opposition along the way, but Jesus has promised never to leave us. About 15 years ago, or maybe a bit more, um, John and I were um, the Anglican ministers in a parish on the West Coast. And our bishop put us forward to possibly lead another parish. It was arranged that we go there to meet the vestry members and some others. And it was all going well until it was mentioned that we were divorced and remarried. And I was also ordained and would be sharing the preaching. This caused an absolute outrage among some members of the parish and we were told quite clearly that we were not acceptable. We were billeted with a couple from the parish who thankfully didn't think like this. They were quite upset as they thought that we'd be ideal for the job. So as you can imagine, I was quite shocked. I went to bed that night with not a little feeling of rejection and wondering how I would respond. But as I lay there, God began to speak to me. He told me that I didn't need to argue my theology. It wouldn't do any good. I just needed to know who I am. And he revealed that to me. It's very personal, but I want to share it with you this morning. Who am I? I am the Samaritan woman at the well. Jesus knows all about my broken relationships, but we talk about worship in spirit and in truth, and I run to tell the whole village that I've met with the Christ. I'm Mary Magdalene. I've been set free. I've been healed. I tell anyone who will listen about the crucified and risen Lord. I'm Martha. I'm practical. I clean. I cook. I serve. I've suffered grief in my life. But I know that Jesus is the Son of God. I know he can bring new life. I'm Mary. Jesus has called me to sit at his feet and learn about him. He's called me to share what I've learned with others. I know who I am. I am dawn, called by God. And how can anyone tell me that I cannot share my story, that I cannot preach the gospel of my Lord? when Jesus walked out of the tomb on that first Easter Sunday, we were meant to walk out with him. We were meant to be living new, renewed, refocused lives. Jesus told his followers that he is the vine and we are the branches. And in order to live life to the full, we need to keep attached to him. He said every branch that bears fruit, God prunes to make, to bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you. Those who abide in me and I in them, 
bear much fruit, because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. Whoa, that's a bit more sobering than my analogy of being stuck in a Wellington car park. But sadly, it's possible to receive new life but continue to live the old life with its old sins and weaknesses or trying to do everything with our own ability or being put off our calling by opposition. How do we keep attached to the vine? Well, we read his word and we pray. It's like any relationship. You have to communicate for it to work and keep on working. You have to spend time with your Bible and you have to spend time in prayer. Paul tells the Colossians, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Note richly, not randomly or briefly or sometimes. And when we do this, like Lazarus, we will recognize the Lord's voice, the voice of the Holy Spirit, and we will allow him to lead us in our calling. And God calls every single one of us. He calls me, he calls you to worship him, to follow Jesus, and be filled with his Holy Spirit so that you can be equipped and empowered for the job that he has called you to do. Jesus calls us no matter what our background, what our mistakes, what our gender or ethnicity. Some of the giants of our faith have made quite serious mistakes. John Wesley messed up quite a bit before his heart was strangely warmed. And he was one of the first leaders to recognize that God has called women to preach. Our journey must continue to evolve and move so that we can achieve the purposes that God has for each of us. I love the story that Isaiah tells of an encounter he has with God while worshiping in the temple one day. He has a vision of God in all his splendor with angels and singing. And in the presence of such holiness, Isaiah becomes aware of his own sinfulness. One of the seraphs touches his mouth with a live coal, and he's set free from his guilt. And Isaiah says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am. Here am I. Send me. He didn't even know what the job was, but he wanted to serve his Lord. Here am I, send me. I can look back and see how God has brought me on a journey from that first day when he came to me and said, I am, I love you, and you are forgiven. You are set free with a new life ahead of you. And my immediate response was, what do you want me to do? I will do anything. In other words, here am I, send me. 
And that response hasn't changed. The Lord didn't tell me the details of what my calling would be at the time. And I didn't know then that, like Mary, he invited me to sit at his feet and learn. It only became apparent later that he called me to be a preacher and a teacher. He led me to lead groups, lead worship, study at Bible college, become ordained, go into parish ministry, and now, after retiring, being part of the leadership team of LL Ministries and preaching here and there. I've been doing this now for over 30 years, but I was 15 years before that soaking up God's word, learning about his character, his faithfulness, and the way he guides us. And I've got so many stories about this, and I must tell you one of them. Um, Quite a few years ago, I'd been invited to um, transfer to another church where I would get a lot more opportunity to preach and lead. And I really couldn't decide what to do because I knew that I'd be letting down the church that I was at. And so I was praying and praying and praying and and nothing was coming, no clear direction was coming. So eventually, one morning, I prayed, Lord, I really do need to know, I need to know from you what I must do. And I want it in writing. And the minute I prayed that, I thought, what is it in writing? Um, and you can't unpray things, can you? So, but that same day, I went down to the letterbox, and there was a letter from a young man who we'd met years before. We'd, he'd been billeted with us. He was part of an American uh, mission team. And, there was, and we'd kept in touch. And there was a letter from him. And I can see it now, the second paragraph, it said, Dawn, I don't know what this means, but I think God is telling you to move. I hope this makes sense to you. (laughs) Yes, it did. And the thing that didn't make sense was that this letter would have been posted a week, 10 days, before I prayed that prayer. I still don't understand that. (laughs) But that's how God has worked in my life many, many times. I've got so many stories. But I want to finish with a beautiful story of calling told by Luke in chapter 7. Jesus had been invited to dinner by a Pharisee, Simon. A woman who Luke only describes as a sinner comes into the house and enters the place where the men are dining. She's carrying an alabaster jar of expensive ointment. She goes right up to Jesus. The room would have gone deathly quiet, as all the male diners would have known who she was. She begins to weep, and her tears fall onto Jesus' feet. She wipes them away with her hair. She kisses his feet and opens her jar of ointment which she pours onto Jesus' feet. And by now, the atmosphere in the room is electric, but she's oblivious to the hostile stares because, you see, she knew that she'd been called by God for this courageous act of worship. As she wept, 
Jesus, as he always did, would look on her with compassion and love and forgiveness. Her actions would be recorded forever as Jesus compared her humility and love with the indifference that Simon the Pharisee had shown. Sometimes it takes much courage to say to God, here am I, send me. So finally, here are some questions for you. Who are you? Are you Paul, previously hostile to Christians and their faith? But you've encountered Jesus on the road to somewhere and now you want to tell everyone about him. Are you Lazarus? You know the voice of Jesus so well that you hear him when he calls and you follow his instructions. Are you Thomas? You sometimes are doubtful, but deep down you know that Jesus is Lord and you're willing to follow him anywhere. Are you a disciple like Mary, coming to church and to listen and to learn and study in other ways so that you can teach others and share your faith and encourage those who are on their journey? Are you Elijah, open to those God moments when you're aware that the Lord is doing something very special, but then sometimes listening to the human voices which send you off track? And very importantly, are you Isaiah? Do you have a willing heart, a hunger to keep on with the journey, and to say, without knowing what he's planned for you, here am I, send me. So you may be here this morning because you do have a willing heart. But if you're thinking that you may be stuck in a car park or wandering around in the wilderness, or having trouble listening to the Holy Spirit because of a blockage that you haven't dealt with, then please offer yourself afresh to the Lord today. Tell him you're willing to sit at his feet and learn and allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life, showing you the way forward. And you'll be incredibly blessed, as I have been. Amen.